Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Cody Stoffer, and today we're going to be talking about some 2A schools, some 3A schools, at least from the Denver Prep League last season, and one of those schools even moving up to 4A. But the very first kind of league I'm going to talk about, at least from last year, as it were, is the 2A Flatirons League. Uh, this league had a variety of teams from mainly kind of like Northwest Denver, more or less. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into it without further ado. I'm first and foremost going to be talking about the Arvada Bulldogs from last season, talk about what happened, and then talk about some graduating seniors as well as some returning playmakers before projecting their record for this upcoming 2022 season. So this past season in 2021 uh, was a bit of an odd one. They only played in seven games and they're on the verge of 500. You know, they had a opening season loss to a talented World Central team that'll be talented again this year. But, um, you know, following that, they rattled off two pretty big wins against Clear Creek 47-6 and the Pinnacle 42-Zill. So you got two big wins there. Then they began league play where they went one and three, losing to Northfield, beating Middle Park in an overtime game. And then they lost their last two, including to in-town league member Faith Christian, who's also in Arvada. So, you know, there's some promise in this season since they appeared to be one of the few teams who had a positive, you know, point differential with 182 points for to just 173 allowed. But they were not very good at home. They did not win a single game at home. And I, if I had to guess for the lack of home success slash the seven-game season, I would assume that COVID had something to do with the season being shorted and maybe some of the inconsistencies on performance. You know, they averaged 37 points per game in wins, but only half as much in losses. So that would explain some of the inconsistencies that you see on both sides of the ball. Maybe they don't have all their starters. They can't roll out a consistent lineup. That would be my guess. So unfortunately, I I have to guess even more so on some things since their max preps isn't has been updated for for a while and um you know it, it severely lacks in stats and uh but those who who did have stats recording and receiving rushing and passing were all seniors so we could see a ton of turnover at very important positions they're also losing uh, Mason Mull, who is in a lot of these categories at six foot one, 225 pounds, built like a football player, was probably the guy on this Arvada Bulldogs team here. So losing someone really good there. And in addition to that, just not a ton of information available on these guys. The website hasn't been updated since 2017. The Twitter hasn't been active or had a post since 2019. So You know, this program could really use a kick in the butt, I guess, in some ways, as far as just improving where it's at information wise. And, you know, this squad in general has appeared to be in turmoil, having not recorded a winning record since 2016. So that would explain maybe why they haven't updated the website since 2017. But you should still update these things just so when you do have a good player, their information does get out there. 
but uh, they have not recorded accurate stats since then either. Um, if anyone is having any information, feel free to update us since I can't find literally anything on the squad other than, you know, they have a junior in Ivan Rodriguez who caught a touchdown in the season opener last year. The senior quarterback was Cody Nelson. So there's a returner and a graduate right there based off of the news article that I read from Weld Central. So having to do a little bit of digging and news article reading to find some information on the Arvada Bulldogs other than their box scores from last season in the literal score way. Um, you know, based off of their history, I think that looking ahead to this schedule, Prospect Ridge Academy will be a solid program here to start the season off with. And I think that they could win that game. Prospect Ridge just came off of a season that saw them compete in 1A and they're hopping back into 2A. So, you know, that's a potential win right there. A little bit of a coin toss, um, but maybe also could be a loss. And that's followed by a Littleton program that has some talent. I've witnessed this offseason. I think that Littleton can probably beat Arvada, but once again, uh, with teams in this tier of competition, it can always be a coin toss. And then following that, they face Inglewood, who, you know, has some serious talent to replace the, you know, Johnson, Labe, or Brothers, or however you say it. Both of them are playing at CSU Pueblo this next year. So you have, you know, some collegiate talent that you are going to have to replace. And the year before that, they also lost an incredible receiver in Nate Gravagno slash athlete. So, you know, lots of turnover there. They're going to have to find some new guys to make plays on this Inglewood squad that already struggled a little bit last year. So we'll see that. I think that they, that Arvada loses to Middle Park and Brush. I like what Middle Park and Brush are returning slash, you know, just what their programs generally are. I mean, last year, Middle Park, did lose to this Arvada team in overtime, and I think that they're ready to bounce back and get a win this year. Following that, they do travel up north to face Tim Nath, which is a brand new program, but knowing the talent pool in Northern Colorado, and depending on how this team looks by October, which should be, you know, rounding into form, this could be a loss on the road to a solid Tim Nath squad. Um, I think that the talent pool in Northern Colorado is is up there, and I think that Tim Nath doesn't have to compete as much, maybe, for some of the talent, like the way that Arvada has to compete in town with Faith Christian, or the way that it has to compete with Arvada West, and stuff like that. So I think that maybe a difference of talent pool could be a Tim Nath win, but once again, lots of coin tosses on this Arvada Bulldogs schedule here. Uh, last but not least, I think that they can beat uh, Sterling since the graduation class of Sterling was very good last year, or one of the better ones, like Radek McCracken is graduating, and they still struggled to find ways to win games last year, so you probably get a win against the Sterling team before losing to Weld Central to end your season. So we're going to do low side, high side, window of wins here. I think that, honestly... On the low side, this team could go one and seven. Um, they might even not win a single game, depending. But I think on the high side, you look at a lot of these coin toss games and you could win five of these. So this is one of the biggest windows of wins 
And a lot of that comes from a place of uncertainty, I will admit, um, since they just don't have a lot of information available. So that's a huge window of wins, I know. But I think that they could probably beat Prospect Ridge. They could pro they like have a good chance of winning one of their four games against Littleton, Inglewood, Sterling, and Timnath, potentially. So throw in a couple there. I think that two and six is pretty reasonable to guess for these Arvada Bulldogs, but wouldn't be surprised if they went one and seven. Um, but I, I think I'm gonna say two and six and put my stamp there. But on the high range of wins, they could rattle off and start off three and zero. Maybe they ride that momentum to beating Middle Park. I don't really think there's a universe where they beat Brush or Weld Central, but uh, then maybe they split those games against Tim Nath and Sterling, and all of a sudden you're looking at five and three. So you know, big window of wins here for this Arvada squad and a lot of curiosity on our part heading into the season. A team that we are not as curious on with more information readily available is the Devlin Jaguars here. Looking back at last season, they did overall go three and six, including a two and three record in league. And you know, that was the majority of their wins that came in the league. They had a 54 to Zill win over the Pinnacle and a 26 to 14 win over Arvada, who we just talked about. And their sole exception was a close win over Inglewood on the road. And when I say close, I mean 28 to 26. Other than that, they let their opponents score over 30 in two thirds of their losses last season. And then also lost narrowly to Middle Park 24 to 16. That's a one score game here. And then they lost to Faith Christian by 10 points. Just seemed to be a little inconsistent as far as what they were able to do offensively. I mean, in the games that they did win against the Pinnacle and Arvada, I'd say that things were clicking pretty well. But then in losses, you have, like I said, 12 points to Faith Christian, 13 points in the finale to Northfield, 16 points to Middle Park, 7 points against Thomas Jefferson, which is a little understandable. That was a 3A team. And, you know, stay tuned for the end of the episode where I talk about them heading into 4A, but uh, then 15 points against Kent Denver. So, and zero, it's shut out by a very good severance team. So I'm not gonna hold that against them, but they just need to get a lot of things clicking. And so looking at the graduating seniors, you know, a lot of the squad will make a return this season, but defensively, defensively, they will lose a couple of guys, including Sandro Armas, who led the team in fumble recoveries and also had a pass deflection with his 40 tackles, which was the leader among seniors on this team and three tackles for loss not to mention he did this at a solid 215 pounds so you're losing you know respectable size here on the high school level and a guy who is just very heads up and instinctual in regards to knowing where the football was reacting very well and following the plays i i think another member of this defense you're losing who's very solid is gunner uh weingart uh, who's second on the team with five tackles for loss as well as second on the team with three sacks so losing a guy who could penetrate get into the backfield and you know cause headaches for opposing offenses and you know for a team defensively that only forced nine turnovers last season everyone that departs matters and i think that'll be true in the interceptions department as sean conrad takes one of the four interceptions from this jaguar squad across the stage with him and you know offensively the story remains 
that a lot of players are returning ex with the exception i should say of mohale mitchell who led the team with 465 yards on 27 receptions and a few touchdowns in addition to that but you know talking about everyone that they've lost i think that they're returning way more and that they're going to take a step forward this year i have a lot of faith in that i've seen some Devlin coaches in action this offseason who helped out with the Ducks 7v7 squad. So maybe with even more practice and scheming and planning and communication amongst other coaches, some more ideas pop out of that. And this offense is able to blossom into potentially a good threat to complement a defense that I think also should take a massive step forward this season. So... You know, a big component of this squad's success banks heavily on a defense that returns all but four players who had double-digit tackles, including Kyle Van Eck and Ethan Bushlack. Uh, they were number one and two in tackles and should be leaders defensively as seniors this upcoming year. And, you know, not only are they returning some seniors, but this squad will be insanely junior heavy. They returned six players who recorded double-digit tackles, including Sambo Hang, who had 40, which, if you recall, was the same amount of tackles as the leading senior last year. Brad Fuller, who had 39. Russell Balser, who had 29, amongst some others. And then some more incoming juniors, uh, Garrett Kohlhauer and Bryce Woolley, both recorded three pass deflections that were tied for the team lead. And they also each recorded an interception last year. So there's 50% of your interceptions in these guys right here, some batted passes. Hopefully they can convert some more batted passes into interceptions and also bat some more passes, just taking steps forward as a secondary. But, you know, as if they weren't getting enough returning juniors, the Jaguars had contributors defensively from every grade level in healthy doses. I'm looking at, you know, in the secondary, Adam Nugent, uh, who is tied for the lead in pass deflections with three. I'm looking at incoming sophomore Trevin Edwards, who recorded 24 tackles, four of those being for loss, right? So you have a solid end sash outside linebacker. You're getting help in the secondary. Your two linebackers who recruited, uh, recorded a ton of tackles are both returning. But I don't think any of this really compares to somebody who's already been offered to CSU Pueblo, kudos to the Thunderwolves for always being ahead of the game on Colorado recruiting. And that is our 2021 Newcomer of the Year candidate, uh, Kafoy Fiadanu. Listed at 6'3", 230 pounds, Fiadanu was the definition of dominant, recording a team leading and maybe even state contending for the team lead. 20 tackles for loss on 50 total tackles and seven sacks with a hurry. He is a unit already as a sophomore. He just is so jacked and powerful and strong and fast. He's just so overwhelming for opposing offenses to try and deal with. And I think that, you know, as we progress, he's only going to become more and more of a problem. This is somebody who projected over the long term could easily be a D1 level guy, considering that he already has a D2 offer as a sophomore. And, you know, his disruption is going to make everyone's lives easier, you know, on the field, whether you're in the secondary and you benefit from him getting to the quarterback and the quarterback throwing you a really easy interception, or whether you're on the second level and Fiadanu gets double teamed, which a lot of teams are going to start doing this year. 
and you get the opportunity to maybe not get blocked or you get a higher chance of a one-on-one -on -one opportunity as opposed to like linemen being able to go to second level. I don't really think they will be able to because I can only imagine Fiodanu getting stronger, more powerful, more athletic. He's a multi-sport athlete, so he's going to come back with a vengeance this next year and, you know, is probably already at least in consideration for to a defensive playmaker of the year as a sophomore. I would not be surprised if that is a conversation that we are having in the postseason. Following that, you know, let's let's hop over to the offensive side of the ball. Fiedanu is somebody who can also carry the rock, but I'm going to look to this passing game to take a step forward in, you know, in, in the receiving core, you have Ethan Bushlack, who led the team with five touchdowns on only 15 receptions. So his return will also alleviate some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Donovan Lopez is another senior who saw some significance in the past game, recording 21 receptions for nearly 300 yards and two scores. But I think the most important return for some Devlin success on offense could be sing signal caller uh, Austin Austin Bushlack, ugh, Austin Bushlack's return, and I don't know if that's any relation, but I digress. Um, the Bushlack experience was a roller coaster last year. Uh, seven of his 16 interceptions came in the opening and closing weeks of the season, but then were contrasted in games like Kent Denver, where he threw two touchdowns to one pick, and he found a way to, you know, squeeze it into a bunch of really tight windows. He has the talent. I think that the arm talent is there. I don't know if the mental slash football IQ ability to read the defense is there yet. That is something that I hope he worked on in the offseason because you could just see that this offense was fairly simplified and he still would get greedy with some passes, in my opinion. And I think that he found a way to just rely on his natural arm talent and needs to engage the rest of his body in his throws and just go through his reads and make more accurate passes. You know, his 44% completion rate is less than ideal. Obviously, uh, you want your quarterback, especially if you are closer to a playoff team, to be at least, at least above 55%, I would say. And then once you're in the 60s, you are feeling very good. Um, based off of his highlights, I, I'd say that it was simplified last year, potentially for him. And if he makes those mental strides, this could spell, you know, some success for Devlin and give them a shot, a shot at maybe being in playoffs. So I talked about, you know, some of these teams may be moving. Uh, Devlin here is a case of that. They will not be in the 2A Flatirons this year. They will be competing in the 2A Colorado League. So as far as league play goes, we're talking Bennett. Wellington, Prospect Ridge Academy, and Valley. This includes two teams that were in 1A last year. This includes a brand new program in Wellington. And then it includes a Valley program that struggled just a little bit here, right? So I'd say that you have a decent chance at winning this league if your quarterback can take a step forward, if your defense can take a step forward. So let's go ahead and jump into the wow segment of the Devlin Jaguars. You know, if they played the exact same schedule from last year, I could see them winning six games. Um, but I think that they have some interesting opponents and some serious stuff to consider. Uh, to start the season, they face off against a playoff team from last year in Elizabeth. They graduated quite a bit. 
Same with the second game against Faith Christian. They graduated in quite a bit. And so I think that this could result in a 2-0 start before running into a very athletic, uh, the Academy team in Westminster. That would probably be their first loss before they bounce back and get a win over Alameda, putting them at 3-1. You know, looking ahead to their very last non-league game that is also a home game here, Platte Valley graduated a lot of contributors, but with their program history, I think that that'll be a respectable game this year and maybe even one that they lose, putting them at like 3-2. and two. And then we jump into league play. You have Bennett on the road, Wellington at home, Prospect Ridge, and Valley on the road. Last year, you know, Bennett did play some 2A teams, and they were able to rinse some of those teams. So I'm tempted to call that a coin toss before they play a new program in Wellington. Once again, I think I like the talent pool of Wellington and Timnath, and until the coaching staff potentially proves me wrong that, you know, maybe these teams are just not competent, I'm going to actually project this as a loss for Devlin, um, just because I think with the talent pool up north and the size that they might have, that could be a very challenging game. So I'm going to call that a loss. Say they lose to Bennett. That puts you to do, do, let's see, three, two, in a three and four situation before you can win the last two games of your season on the road and end up with a five and four season and a chance at playoffs with the right score margins and performances against tough teams. I think that five and four is kind of where I'm sitting with the Devlin Jaguars, but I see a window of wins of four to six. You know, they could end up dropping one of these two opening games or something like that and be looking at a four and six kind of thing, which would be still improved from last year. But I think that you have enough senior, junior, and even sophomore talent to really make a push this year. And if they end up six and three, I would also not be surprised. That's maybe a win against Wellington, maybe a win against Bennett. Uh, winning one of those two games is where I see their other win coming from. And if they're able to, you know, go three and one in league, and depending on how the other teams play each other, that could be a chance at a league title and playoffs. So six and three would all but guarantee a playoff spot. But We'll see how it goes. You know, Devlin, I, I have a lot of faith in this offense. I have a lot of faith in this defense as well, this coaching staff. I think that this is going to be a very exciting team to watch for the next couple of years. But, you know, focus on this year. Go ahead and try and get back into the postseason. Speaking of a 5-4 and four record, that was the record of this next squad from last year, the Faith Christian Eagles. They overall went 5-4, and four, and they put together a solid season, including winning their last four games after losing only one league game. You know, I think the positive point differential is something to be happy about, but they were just plagued with struggles on the road. They ended up going 1-3 on the road. This included a loss to Rifle that, you know, I bet they wish they had back, honestly. This includes a loss to Eaton and a loss to Northfield who ended up winning that league. So I think that there was a little bit of a gap here, but once they started to figure things out, they were schmoove. And like I said, those last four wins were very impressive. And, you know, a one in four hole would have massacred a lot of teams' pride and ability. 
but you know they hung tight and rattled off four wins they scored over 40 in three of those contests when they beat middle park 41 zil they scored 56 against the pinnacle and then they beat arvada in town kind of school 48 to 31 with their closest win being over devlin 22 to 12. so you know start off the season with a big win and then just go on a four game lose streak collect themselves and keep in mind that their turnaround on this it wasn't like they had a bye week and then won these four games they only had six days between their game that they lost to northfield and the game that they won against middle park where the score was almost the same they just flipped the script right so they did a great job of bouncing back and just finding a way to be more successful uh following this opening struggle but um you know they had some serious talent on this squad last year who will be graduating who did help them climb out of that hole and i think that the biggest story here is that the states the state 1a 2a 3a what whatever level uh or at least of 11 man the leading tackler of the entire state cody connor is departing after year that saw him dominate even while rehabbing from an injury incredibly quickly and being a step or and a half one and a half times slower than his normal self he paced the entire state in tackles with 147 he also recorded 27 tackles for loss four sacks an interception three fumble recoveries two forced fumbles and a partridge in a pear tree there's nothing that cody connor couldn't do on the defensive side of the ball he was a top five linebacker for us in the senior class he was right at number five just with the versatility that he showed with the perseverance that he showed as well uh coming off of i want to say it was like an achilles injury or you know something in his legs that did make him a step slower he recovered incredibly fast to be back and ready for the season and i don't know where this faith christian eagles team would be without him and i don't know where they're going without him if that makes sense um because not only was he just completely dominant on the defensive side of the ball he also had enough gas in the tank to lead his team in rushing touchdowns with nine of them he was second in rushing yards and receiving yards with 436 on the ground he had a very punishing run style that reflected his physical prowess on the defensive side of the ball and then like i said second in receiving yards with another 359 so with all of the scrimmage yards he was able to do with fumble recoveries interceptions running catching he, he was a yes coach kind of guy who also had the physical capabilities to back it up. And and as if all this wasn't impressive, he also threw another three touchdowns. Um, and I think that that, I'm not sure about the history of this school, but that kind of season and performance is, you know, a potential argument for Beth Faith Christian Eagle of all time. Uh, someone let me know on our social media posts if that is a statement to be true or educate me or enlighten me on the history of great faith Christian Eagle football players. But, you know, leading in the backfield was Connor's running buddy in Jonah Shelton. He ran for 582 yards and four touchdowns. So there were multiple people who were rushing for touchdowns. The quarterback also found a way to run last year, finding Paydar twice in addition to his 10 passing touchdowns on 122 attempts. He was also efficient, completing 61.5% of his passes for 1135 yards and only throwing six interceptions. So what's that, a 5-3 to TD tie-in T-ratio? I've seen, I've seen worse. I've seen 1-1, one to -one, which is like as mediocre as you could possibly be. 
And then Jacob Nix was one of three receivers that broke 300 yards and was tied for the team lead in receiving scores at four. So losing your quarterback, losing your running backs, plural, losing one of your top receivers and, you know, losing the heartbeat of your team slash defense. This is going to be tough. I'm not even going to lie. It's going to be a struggle bus of a season and one where Faith Christian will look to some of these guys to return and contribute you know on the offense they do have some younger players you have dante v hill who as a freshman last year ran for 53 yards and then you also have sullivan strange who as freshman once again ran for 139 or had a 139 receiving yards i should say and three receiving touchdowns which was you know near the top of this team since the leader had four but both these guys were very solid on the defensive side of the ball with v hill being third on the team with 44 tackles and Sullivan being not too far behind at 42 and both collected a single tackle for loss. You'll also be returning six foot Vernon Berryhill who will have to nearly triple his output from last season to have any hope at replacing Connor and he may be the most qualified after being second on the team in tackles and also was respectable with six tackles for loss. Then you will be getting back sophomore Will Reed who is tied for the lead in sacks with four. And then incoming senior Kuiper, or Kuiper, Kuiper, it's probably Kuiper, uh, who is tied for second in sacks with three. You know, their best player from a year ago is gone. They need plenty of these young studs to step up, and the schedule doesn't make that super easy. Looking ahead of this schedule, you got Prospect Ridge Academy to start the season. They could probably win that. But I don't think that they beat Devlin. Again, I just talked about that on the Devlin segment. I don't think that they go back-to-back against them. And then they have a horrendous three-game stretch here against Kent Denver, Florence, and the Academy. I think that you'd be really happy to go one and two in that stretch. And that would put you, you know, in that two and three kind of range of wins before entering their league that is just significantly more brutal this year than it was last year. They might be able to finish second in the league, but no shame if you finish third in this league that has birthed. You have to go to Steamboat Springs on the road. They are taking a step back from 3A and losing quite a bit of talent. However, they're still a very decent air raid team there and uh, one that I think is gonna be able to pass the ball pretty well this year. Then you have Eaton. That's just a loss. Sorry, it, it just is. They're the back-to-back state champs, and they're looking at a three-peat this year, so look out for that. And then they finish the season against Fort Lupton. I say that they probably go 2-2 two and two in this league um, and probably have a final record of 3-6 and six is what I can see, or 4-5. and five. So probably a window of wins from three to four. I'm just not sure how these young guys are going to step up and replace that much production that quickly. This may be a team to look out for potentially next year where some more of these sophomores get some experience on the varsity level. And this class of 2024 perhaps could be a more successful campaign for the Faith Christian Eagles. Continuing on here through the 2021 Flatirons League, I'm going to talk about a team that's actually taking a dip down in level of play here, and I think it's probably for the best. I'm talking about the pinnacle football here. They went one and seven last year, and you know, 
While it may not look pretty, uh, Pinnacle's win to open the season against Sheridan was this program's first win that wasn't by forfeit since October 27th of 2018. In the time between then and now, they won games by forfeit in 2019, and then they went winless during COVID. So that was an exciting snap of a bad streak, but the Timberwolves still have a bit to be desired since they only managed to score one more touchdown for the rest of the season. Now, on their offense, it looks like they graduated uh, two contributing seniors in De La Torre, who had 100 yards in four recorded games, and Garcia, who had the only recorded receiving touchdown, which may be true considering that they only scored 38 points all season. But, you know, looking at some returning playmakers from the max prep stats that I had available to me, I think that a change needs to happen at quarterback. Uh, class of 23, Noah Martinez threw 13 interceptions and not a single touchdown. 0 to 13 may be the worst TD to INT ratio of a starter I have ever seen. Um, you have a fellow class of 23 guy in Noah Estes, who, you know, while he only attempted three passes with the majority of his responsibility in the backfield, you know, 68 carries, 266 yards, and a touchdown, uh, he was the only touchdown passer on the squad. So I think you put him under center, you put your best athlete under center, maybe you have him run some read option, maybe you have him just be a wildcat guy who can occasionally throw and you might find more success in this new level of football. Um, I think that they can afford to have Estes taking snaps with, you know, a sophomore tailback from last year who contributed 130 yards in just two recorded games and two touchdowns. So I think that you have another tailback there who could potentially step up as a running back and then you could have Estes be under center or out of the shotgun heading into next year and i mean something's got to give here they beat sheridan but then they lost to jefferson which is a team that struggled a lot last year like i said that you know they didn't even score that touchdown until the very last game of the season against middle park right so every other game they allowed over 40 points in most of them they allowed over 50 points and in one of them they allow over 60 so overall just a really tough go this past year for the Pinnacle Timberwolves, other than that win against Sheridan. But, you know, we're all about looking ahead. They're now in the 1A Northern League. This league includes Estes Park, Flatirons Academy, Highland, Manual, who was 2A last year, and Sheridan. So, a little bit of movement here, but overall, maybe for the best. To start the season, they do still face to a middle park i think that that is probably a loss i kind of like middle park and you'll hear why more in just a second following that they play denver christian who is an eight-man team this year and they didn't win a single game in eight man last year so i could see that being a serious challenge for denver christian to win this game and give pinnacle a shot at winning Clear Creek was a team last year in, you know, 1A that struggled. You know, they overall went 2-6, and six, but they were still able to beat Sheridan by a bigger margin, and they were still able to beat Jefferson by a big margin as well. So I guess this game might go either way. Uh, I called a coin toss, but I'd probably favor Clear Creek. Then they face Platte Canyon and Flatirons Academy, Estes Park, Highland. They lose all these games. I don't know what Manuel's going to look at look like without Cameron uh, under center, 
but you know they do still have access to some pretty good athletes there at manual and then a game against sheridan before a game to be announced looking at the schedule i think that you could potentially win as many as three maybe but more likely i think that they probably have like a one and two start here with a win over Denver Christian before losing every game before Sheridan and winning that one. I don't know who they're going to schedule for this last game, but over 10 games, I still think that their odds are probably, or where, where their record is going to be sitting at, is two and eight, unfortunately. I think that this program just has to find an identity, get some talent, get used to their competition here in the 1A Northern, and maybe go from there. Overall, a program that is still trying to figure itself out. As for programs that I think can maybe take a little bit of a step forward potentially this year, I'm looking at the Middle Park Panthers out of Granby, Colorado. Last year in the 2A Flatirons, they ended up with a 3-6 and six record, but you know, two of these losses were so insanely close. I'm looking at the overtime loss that I talked about in regards to Arvada that I think easily could have went the other way. And then I'm talking a one point loss to eventual league champs Northfield. So, you know, 21 to 20 here, you, if they score eight more points, all right, excuse me. Yeah, no, eight more points this year. They have an additional win and tie. And if they scored nine more points, then they're five and four. So I think that when they did win, uh, they, their performances were solid and something to be proud of. You know, 16 nothing win over Clear Creek. Then they get a 24-16 win over Devlin and then destroy Pinnacle to finish their season. They are losing some, and by some, I mean a considerable amount of contributions on this squad, you know. On offense, anyone who attempted a pass last year will not be returning. And then I think headlining those losses is Davis Emery, who, who not only threw for 1,000 yards, but he also ran for 700 yards and 10 touchdowns. Uh, his 15 total touchdowns were far and above everyone else on this squad, uh, which makes up in part for his turnover woes since he did throw eight interceptions. But, uh, you know, the other senior threw passes and ran for touchdowns was Colton Knox, who in less snaps threw a two TD to one INT ratio, but averaged almost a whole yard less per carry and route to a 185 yard season and three rushing scores. Uh, not to mention he was also second on the team in receiving with 238 yards. You're losing second leading rusher in Tanner Shannon, who you know collected 321 yards on just 80 carries. So, you know, right at that four yards per carry, you know, three rushes at four yards, that's first down every three plays. And, uh, you know, if Knox was second, it only comes to reason that there is another senior who led this team in receiving. And that is dramatically true as Jackson Semino over tripled Knox's production in yards with 702 on 58 catches and five scores. So you're losing the quarterback. You're losing his number one option. You're losing his number two option. You're losing the guy who you handed the ball off to. You're losing the quarterback who could take it himself and other guys who could also contribute in the rush game. So Granby's offense is just going to be completely reshuffled, completely anew. That's not even talking about 
potentially some losses that you might have on the offensive line, but it is some serious turnover for our team in Granby that, I mean, they don't really have to compete for their talent pool, but it's not a big one at the same time. And then defensively, you're seeing a lot of these same names from the offense leaving. You're losing Shannon, Emery, Samino. They made up three of the top four tacklers with 106, 70, and 63, respectively. And they were shortly followed by another trio of seniors in Caleb Brumley, who had 52 tackles, uh, Knox, who had 50 tackles, and Bukars, 34. And all but one interception is departing. So Emery had two, Samino had two, Knox had one, and Bukar had one. As far as returning playmakers, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the last standing athlete from this 21 team is put under center in Xavier Martinez, who was responsible for 435 yards last year with 107 rushing, 202 receiving, and he was the team leader in return yards with 826. You also get six foot four, 210 pound stud Micah Byram to return to the fold following a season that saw him at second in tackles with 72 and was routinely able to play strong in the run game. He's very good at engaging blockers and just being a very physical force. He might be a guy whose physicality and tenacity lands him more touches on offense as well, uh, just to see how hard he punishes people there. Additionally, he's a versatile linebacker who can block field goals, sack the quarterback, fill holes in the run game, blitz, and fare okay in zone pass coverage. You know, he has some decent batted balls and does a good job of tracking receivers. The next 13 players after Martinez in the lineup who recorded a tackle will all be returning. Uh, the bad news is that Martinez was eighth on the team and everyone after him progressively gets less and less than 30 tackles. Uh, Nick Forker returns as a senior following a junior season that saw him with second most tackles for loss in just four games. And Tanner Schur was an opportunistic defender uh, who tied for the team lead in fumble recoveries with two as just a sophomore. So looking at this team, I think the defense could potentially be just as good, if not better than last year. However, there's still plenty of question marks for the Panthers, especially on the offensive side of the ball. What is Xavier Martinez going to look like and how will that impact this team? And, you know, I think that those are all going to be interesting questions for another team that is moving down to 1A Foothills. Once again, they will play pinnacle to start i talked about that in the pinnacle senate section i think that they should beat pinnacle again before an away game against estes park that could be a nasty one then a home game against steamboat springs that i still don't know if they can win they just defensively they might be able to if they force some turnovers arvada that one's a coin toss you should probably beat denver christian and then they probably lose to strasburg and then clear creek is a question so you know, they only have seven games scheduled right now, but, you know, very specifically, I don't know if they'll have answers to Estes Park, Strasburg, or Steamboat Springs, but, you know, that still leaves you with answers against Denver Christian, potentially Clear Creek, the Pinnacle, and Arvada. Best case scenario from this seven-game stretch is four and three. However, I, I think that the window of wins is probably two to four um i don't think that they lose to the pinnacle and i don't think that they lose to denver christian i think that there's a window of opportunity for clear creek and i think that arvada still has fighting chance as well since they did remain into a so obviously they will have a few more options depending on what position and what side of the ball for answers to the middle park panthers
the last team that we're going to talk about from the 2A squads last year in the Flatirons League is the league champs, the Northfield Nighthawks, who have not been a program for too long. You know, it was an historic one. Uh, since they started recording on Max Preps, at least, they had not made the playoffs nor had a winning record since 2018. And they managed to do both this past season, including an undefeated 4-0 run in league. This is especially impressive considering that they were outscored 70-22 to in their first two contests, losing 42-0 to against Moffat County, and then losing 28-22 to against 3A George Washington. This is not a great start. This is an alarming one. The sirens had to be going off. What is going on? But, you know, they bounced back. They, they got a four-game win streak here. They beat 3A Lincoln on the road. They beat Inglewood semi-convincingly. Then they obliterated these two Arvada teams with a combined score of 81-20, to beating Faith Christian at home before defeating Arvada on the road. This was all right before losing to the 1A juggernaut that was Centauri last year, one of the most talented teams in the entire state. They kind of got clubbed by them 41-12 to before a defining this was a season-defining and maybe even program-defining win against Middle Park where they won by a single point to essentially punch their ticket to a league title and playoffs. I talked about this. The Cameron Joyce Fairley fella was the winner of Playmaker of the Week on the 2A level because of his contributions in this game against Middle Park. And they rode that momentum to a 35-13 win over Devlin to you know finish league at 4-0 and finish their regular season at 6-3 and and you know I think that they got pieced up by a very good TCA team but it was a very historic and proud season for the Northfield Nighthawks now stats were not input the most accurately but I can tell you after watching his film and breaking down Troy Motley was a very fun athlete to watch on this Nighthawk team uh you know he's just very dynamic his agility was integral to this offense and that will be missed it also looks like through a modge podge of one to three games four different players attempted passes with senior julian stover pacing the pack in yards and touchdowns but you know regardless the qb room as a whole struggled with completion percentage so timing and accuracy will be a point of emphasis for the qb coach no matter who is the incoming quarterback you also lose another back in Uriah Hurd uh, that was getting the majority of carries through four games and was also the leader of rushing touchdowns with one a game through four games. So averaging that out, you're losing a guy who is a model of consistency through the games that were tallied. And then Enoch Apetigenu led this team in tackles from the senior class and tackles for loss for the majority of this squad. Now, from what I could tell, uh, sophomore talent was a proponent of the Nighthawk success last year and Easterly was a part of that flying all over the field making tackles and was averaging in the ballpark of double digit tackles per game so he could be a nice returning force in the incoming junior class. Uh, Jarrell Rico could be just as good if not an upgrade at quarterback after posting solid efficient numbers limiting turnovers but you know he definitely has less arm strength than Stover before him and still needs to address accuracy and timing, as I mentioned, this quarterback room will be focusing on hopefully this offseason. 
Furthermore, you know, on very limited snaps, uh, Amarian Richardson was somebody who averaged 12.9 yards per carry and could maybe be, you know, your boom back out of the backfield. And last but not least, you know, Cameron Joyce Fairley was a playmaker of the week last year, like I said, in that Middle Park game, uh, showing the ability to take over a game on both sides of the ball and make some monster catches when it matters. I could see him potentially being in the All-State Honorable Mention conversation with a solid season on both sides of the ball. So, you know, last year, they won league, ended up with a 6-4 record, winning record. They've been in 2A this entire time, and apparently that is all that they needed to feel confident or for Chasta to feel confident, putting them in 3A. On Max Reps, it still says 2A flat irons, but they are definitely in a 3A league. How can I tell? Well, first off, they are facing Aurora Central to start. Very rare for a 2A team to be playing a 4A team. Not saying that it doesn't happen, but... That is a strength of schedule booster before facing Riverdale Ridge, Denver North, both 3A Denver prep teams that I'm going to be talking about in the next segment, so stay tuned for that. Then you got Adams City out of uh, Commerce City, Vista Ridge, so another 4A team here. Then you got Kennedy on the road, Holy Family, Lutheran, Fort Morgan, and Lincoln to close the season. This is very obviously a 3A schedule, and it'll be... A tough year. Uh, they very narrowly made the postseason. I think they were like the 15 seed in 2A. So I'm a little worried about what awaits them in 3A. And uh, I just, I I was so happy that they made the playoffs last year. And I was looking ahead to this year for them to compete in 2A again. I think that a jump to 3A might be a little too soon and might be a little too steep for this 2022 squad. So I'm going to project over this 3-6-10 game season a 1-9 record and that one win potentially coming against Lincoln High School. I think that Adam City is returning enough talent for me to be warranted in them. Denver North has a solid little quarterback. Riverdale Ridge has a defense that I think is going to still be solid and plenty of athletes. There's no way that they beat Aurora Central or hold Kyrie's Kirby to maybe even less than 200 yards. Vista Ridge is a contender on the 4A level. So overall, I think that this is a very challenging schedule. Maybe, maybe Kennedy, but even then Kennedy has a lot of talent offensively that is returning. So I just don't see it. Probably one in nine. That may be a little harsh, but you know, just keep your head down and be ready for all of the challenges that 3A will bring and present. But congratulations on making program history last year. I mean, you still have to celebrate that and still just be grateful for that opportunity. But that'll do it for the first half of this episode, talking about the 2A teams. And in the very last one, I talked about a 3A team, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about next, talking about the 3A Denver Prep Conference of last season. And to kick off the 3A Denver Prep, we got the Abraham Lincoln Lancers out of Denver, Colorado. In regards to last year, not much to talk about, uh, seeing that this Lincoln team was, you know, basically a guaranteed win for anybody who scheduled them, and they only scored six points all season. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go into further detail. As far as graduating seniors go, uh, the leading contributors on offense and Juan Diaz at quarterback, Tariq Childress, both graduated, which includes Childress having the sole possession of a touchdown last year. The top four recorded receivers all graduated. 
and Diaz, Espino, Castro, Vasquez, and Childress were doing the most last season as they made up five of the six top tacklers on the team as well. For returning playmakers, Isaac Sanchez is the only top five tackler from last season to potentially come back as a junior. And it looks like the class of 23 and 24 will have a battle for the position under center as potentially Mendiola and Rubio both had pass attempts last year or Elizeo Beltran could maybe end up under center and calling plays with the carries that he had out of the backfield last year. Maybe you just put your best athlete there in a position to make plays. This segment is going to be one of the shorter ones just because, you know, this year looking ahead, they do have Mitchell scheduled, which I think is a way more winnable game. Mitchell's a team that I don't think won a game last year, but then maybe they could beat 2A Alameda or 2A Inglewood. So they have more winnable games this year, but I could still see them going winless since at least Mitchell scored over 50 last year. I want to say that even despite, well, despite Inglewood's struggles, they still found ways to win games and or even tie games last year. And Alameda also found ways to win games as well last year. Um, so we'll see. I know that Alameda is graduating a little bit of talent, so that's why I give Lincoln a slight chance here. But, you know, window of wins of 0 to 3 with probably a, maybe a win here. A 1 and something record, which I think would mark a successful season. And if they are to win a game, it would be their first win since September 5th of 2019. So to get back into the win column, just in general as a program, would be huge. And I think this schedule allows for that or gives the potential to be the highest it has been for that in a decent amount of time now for a very intriguing team out of this 3a denver prep last year you have denver north they finished at an even five and five in a season that saw him saw them beat teams they were supposed to and lose to teams that were more talented uh wins against the likes of skyview mitchell littleton lincoln those are all to be expected right? Those are all games that you should win. And then, you know, their biggest win slash, you know, closest win, I should say, because all their other wins, they had margins greater than 36. But, you know, they did get a 55 to 48 thriller against the Kennedy Commanders in an insane shootout. So that's exciting. Uh, but their losses showed a glaring need for a step forward on defense. As to their five losses, they allowed 50 points per game, including 62 against Centaurus. So they they allowed a lot of points in these losses, and so they are going to have to shore up that defense and hope that it takes a step forward. Um, as far as graduating seniors, talking about the defense that needs to take a step forward, you are losing Jaden Gonzalez and Ricky Bird, who paced the defense and were tied for the team lead with two interceptions apiece. Romero or Josiah Romero was a solid body who was top three in tackles and he'll be departing from the line. And he starts a run of five consecutive seniors who were tackle leaders in, you know, Rodriguez, who had, uh, who was the past deflection leader with seven and also had a pick. You have Rivera, who is Dom Rivera, I should say, who is the sack leader with five and the tackle for loss leader with eight. Then Espinoza and Trujillo, these were a group of seniors, you know, in that one through eight spot that 
that made up a lot of tackles here. So you're losing a decent amount of tackles in like the middle of the pack. And, you know, on top of Josiah Romero graduating and taking that talent with him away from the defensive line, he was also an offensive lineman, an interior offensive lineman, who was essential to, you know, these two running backs um, who, who, or, you know, my bad, to this running back, Ricky Bird, and his consistency, he averaged 6.1 yards per carry, he scored 10 touchdowns, and I think that between what he could do in both the rushing and receiving game, that's a tough loss, even in a backfield that was a running back by committee kind of approach, that is still not an ideal loss to have. Additionally, through the air, they are losing these two seniors from last year, six foot four senior Keith McKinnis, who had 33 receptions for 612 yards and eight scores, and then six foot one Jaden Gonzalez, who, if you recall, was one of the leaders in interceptions and was a leader in receptions with 25 receptions for 556 yards and six scores. So you're losing these two big body targets who were able to make a lot of great catches last year if their quarterback was just a little inaccurate. They were able to adjust to the ball very well in air and make some pretty monumental catches, honestly. They were very impressive on the film. And last but not least, uh, McKinnis, you know, was a solid playmaker, averaging over 20 yards per return on both kick and punt returns and went for nearly a half thousand yards as well. So overall, over a thousand scrimmage yards that you are losing in McKinnis. And, you know, with Jaden Gonzalez, obviously losing all those touchdowns and those interceptions as well on the defensive side of the ball. In the secondary, though, to try and help patch that relief and hopefully help this defense take a step forward, you have Elijah Berg. I'm not sure if he's related to Ricky, but, you know, he contributed two interceptions, so he's tied for that lead and also had three pass deflections. But in addition to that, recovered a team-high three fumbles and will be crucial to this defense potentially stay, taking a step forward. This doesn't even account for the fact that he was second on the entire team in tackles with 66, and in 11th of the time, he was in the backfield making those tackles, making tackles for loss. Eli Espinosa was another sophomore into this defense who recorded a ton of tackles, and by a ton, I mean the most tackles. He had 82 tackles, and 52 of them were solos. That, that percentage of solo tackles is so ridiculous. Like, um, Eli is only a sophomore, just showed a great knack for tracking the ball, finding the gaps in, in the line, working his way side to side, and just getting to the ball carrier. And I think that that will only improve as he heads into his junior year, hopefully learning a little bit more about the game. If he could recognize plays before the snap, even better, right? In addition to that, you know, he was the only player who recovered more fumbles than Elijah Berg after recovering a whopping five. Now, he didn't contribute as much as Elijah in the past game, but the return of Elijah and Eli, the return of uh, the book of Eli here on this defense will be critical to this Denver North team potentially taking a step forward on defense. Now, not as high in overall tackles, but incoming senior Fernando Ayona brings back seven tackles for loss and was a solid 260 pounds in the middle and could look to replace Josiah Romero's production. You know, he could scratch into that 
top three category. He's just got to record more overall tackles, but was one of the leaders in tackles for loss. So that is a great return here to the middle of this line. He also had TJ Windham, who is second on this squad with sacks with four and only five recorded contests last year. And if you project that pace out over an entire season, that is, you know, a, a nine sack or even on a 10 sack kind of season, which would be great for this defense. Last but not least, I had to watch the film of incoming junior quarterback Frankie Dardano, uh, whom Coach V saw in person last year and noted that he could string together some nice passes. And I'd have to agree that his timing on some throws can be insane. And to add on to that, he's got a knack for extending plays and making it work. Uh, if he could be a bit more accurate this year and take less risks, this offense can produce just as well as last year. But he's got to be smarter when he decides to tuck and run. And he's got to know when a window might just be too tight. Uh, Dardano is great through the air. You know, it's not like his decision making was bad per se with 22 TDs to 10 picks. But like I said about those senior receivers from last year, they were able to really go up and make a handful of catches. And that's something that, you know, these incoming juniors will have to be seen. You have number 20, Guerra, and number 21, Harris. So you got 2021 here in Lorenzo Guerra and Cameron Harris. These guys will have to step up. Lorenzo's standing at six foot one, not as heavy at 170 pounds, but you know, still a taller playmaker here. And Cameron Harris at six foot two, 170 pounds. So you still have some taller playmakers at receiver here. Not one that's six foot four, granted, but you still have some taller playmakers who will try and make your life easier and you can make their life easier. You could have a pretty solid year this year. I think that the Denver North Vikings are a team to look out for. And looking ahead of their schedule, it looks pretty manageable for a team with an improved defense. Uh, the league is where they're going gets tough, but heading into league, you know, you got Alameda, Wheat Ridge, Northfield, Denver West, and Skyview. I think that at bare minimum, at bare minimum, Denver West should be 4-1 in this stretch with maybe a loss to Wheat Ridge, but 5-0 would be even better. I don't know if that'll be enough once they get into league. Because once they're in league, they face Meade on the road, they face Frederick on the road, and they face George Washington all on the road. That three-game road stretch is a very brutal one for any team in 3A, much less one who has to deal with it in their league, much less a team that has to go back to back to back. That slew of games could potentially put them, if they go through league at four, if they go through non-league at four and one, that could put them at five and four before a win against Niwat puts them at 6-4 with the potential to make the playoffs. If they go 5-0 in non-league, control what they can control. I think that I have them favored against Riverdale Ridge, despite, you know, how they fared against them last year. I think that it is still worth noting that, you know, with the quarterback returning and with the weapons returning, as well as the defense just being overwhelmingly young last year, I think that they can take a serious step forward. And then if they could beat Niwat, I think that they do beat Niwat and they go two and three in league. I think that they can still make playoffs. Go five and oh in non-league if you can. Go seven and three overall. And you have a shot at making playoffs. Granted, 3A has a smaller playoff pool than 4A. It'd be really cool if they expanded to like 20 teams and gave four teams first round by or something like that. But anyways, um, <laughs> There's, there's a chance, right? But in league play, 
It's all about how you fare against your league opponents. If you want one of those last seeds, you got to play Meade tough. You got to play Frederick tough. And you got to play George Washington tough. Slash maybe still win over them if you can. Uh, I think that the only thing that can be held against them is how they play and their strength of schedule. Look, Alameda's not particularly good. Northfield is brand new to 3A. Denver West is okay. Skyview is terrible. So they definitely need to win that game. But uh, Denver North here, I really like what they have going on offense. I really like the potential that they have in defense. I like calling this defense the Book of Eli with uh, Berg and Espinoza both returning to the fold after very successful sophomore seasons. And overall, I think that there's just so much to like about this Denver North squad, but they have to put it all together if they are to find the postseason this year, which is expectation. That should be the expectation. You go five and five. You got to improve by a win or two and try and make the postseason this year. But no one said it was going to be easy because like I said, you know, this Denver prep league from last year is going to look really, really different. It's they're all kind of spread out. But one team that is following Denver North to this new league is George Washington Patriots. This is one of the most dynamic schools that is going to be some someone to keep an eye on this year and there's a handful of reasons for that but first let's talk about how they did last year you know last year they went seven and three had a great record lost only one game in league that ultimately kept them out of the playoffs but looking through their schedule last year you know they lost the season opener on the road to brush 41 to 13 at the time that seems like a really bad loss but with hindsight being 2020 Brush was obviously the state runner-up on the 2A level, so you can kind of justify that. Before a close win over a 2A squad in Northfield, 28-22, this probably hurts them a little bit playing them that close, before obliterating another 2A squad in Alameda. So, they had three 2A games to start the year last year. That is not good of strength on strength of schedule, and I think that that's reflected in the fact that they ended up watching the playoffs from their couches despite having one of the more talented offenses in the entire state. They then bounced back and beat Monarch 41 to 34 before losing to Evergreen on the road 41 to 23. They're playing a lot of games on the road by the way. Holy cow. They then beat Lincoln 67 to 6. This is a great bounce back, builds confidence for their game against Riverdale Ridge where they went 37 to 14 and then for, you know, the big piece of chicken at the dinner table, they face Thomas Jefferson. They fall just short to them, 27 to 18. This ultimately would be the defining loss of their season that keeps George Washington out of the playoffs. But despite probably losing what they had to play for, they still played very tough in the last two games of the year, beating Kennedy 70 to 28. And 70 had to be one of the highest scores post by any team last year and this is against a competent high scoring high flying offensive opponent and then they beat denver north 41 to 21 like i said ended with a winning season but i mean three 2a games here and then beating lincoln just doesn't really do it for you thomas jefferson playing them that close is very interesting go ahead and stay tuned for my thomas jefferson segment at the very end of this episode but, you know, I think that this is a game that could have gone either way, and they just got the short end of the stick, and that resulted in a season from, a postseason from the couch. So, looking um, at some contributors from last year, 
They're not graduating too many, but the ones that they are graduating are still solid. Uh, Avi Freeman was somebody whose film I broke down last year and somebody who could turn errant passes by the boundary into interceptions. So you're losing a guy who's able to make a couple of plays on the ball in the secondary. You're offensively losing Elijah Bryant, who is the largest senior contributor in the backfield with 136 yards and a couple of scores. In addition to that, a senior rookie Valdez had 274 yards on only 12 touches, which while the production is limited and you definitely have some outliers there, that production is insane and that's explosiveness that you are now going to be without from Ricky. And then Josh Wolfer's three receiving touchdowns will have to be replaced next season in addition to his co-team leading 74 tackles. So you're, you're losing a linebacker who could make some big bodied catches from last year and you're losing Avi Friedman in the secondary and then offensively you're losing some you know just variety in the backfield but George Washington might have the most dynamic returning playmakers from last year you look at Marcellus aka Salas Honeycutt Jr he's a walking playmaker on both sides of the ball he was one of our candidates for I want to say it was either 3A Offensive Playmaker of the Year or maybe 3A Most Valuable Playmaker. One of those two, we put him in the polls. I would be surprised if he doesn't find himself in that situation again because on defense, he recorded a team leading seven interceptions in the secondary and accounted for 188 interception return yards, which had to be one of the best in the state, as was the seven interceptions. He also had two pass deflections and a fumble recovery. Not to mention, he was still fourth on the squad with 60 tackles, but it's his offensive production that really landed him on our radar and should have you keeping an eye on him if you're a scout or an opponent that's trying to brace for George Washington. He ripped defenses apart, running for 1,417 yards and 20 scores while averaging 11 yards per carry. So he didn't even have that many carries. Like I said, some other guys like seniors Ricky Valdez and Elijah Bryant were able to get some carries, but Honeycutt was still just a cut above the rest of the backfield and most people in the state. I mean, 11 yards per carry on the volume that he had is ridiculous. It's absurd. It's video game Madden numbers, and I could see him putting up very similar numbers this year. Between him and fellow athlete Silas Evans, you know, once again, talk, we'll talk about what they did on the defensive side of the ball and then the offensive side of the ball. Silas Evans led the team in tackles, or co-led, I should say, with 74 and will look to be a major player on both sides. Uh, you know, defensively, he will probably be the leader here for this Patriot squad. And then offensively, you know, he led the team in receiving yards and touchdowns with 468 receiving yards and eight scores on only 16 recorded receptions. 50, 50% of the time that Silas caught the ball, it was in, it went to the end zone. That's an absurd ratio for somebody that I still think put up plenty of yards. That yards per reception is ridiculous. I think that while the yards per reception and the percentage of receptions that end up in the end zone might take a dip back, I think that overall production can take a step forward. I think that with the right tools and with the right progression from his quarterback, that, you know, Silas could be a, well, with the right system, Silas could easily be a 1,200 yard receiver. I really don't have any doubt about that. 
but you know, I think that this season you should expect seven to 800 yards and probably double digit receiving touchdowns from Silas with what's departing and then just some of the competition that they will be facing. On the defensive side of the ball, not only do you get Silas back, who recorded a bunch of tackles, and Honeycutt, who recorded a bunch of tackles and interceptions, you get six out of your top 11 tacklers to come back, and the pass rush is getting plenty of juice. 18 of the 21 sacks that this pass rush produced last year will be returning, including 240-pound Jude M., as well as, you know, around 230 to 240 pound Jirai V. Both those guys combined for 13 sacks. They are absolute beasts on the defensive line, and they are going to produce more opportunities, I believe, for Honeycutt and Evans to both record interceptions and benefit from forced fumbles and or turnovers here. Under center, I think that this is one of the biggest stories and one of the biggest determinants of the success of this George Washington team. And that is how Gabe Smith improves this year. You know, his completion percentage will have to see improvement. And, you know, he has tons of upside. In the Monarch game that they won 41 to 34, he went 12 of 20 for 244 yards and four touchdowns. And he has the weapons and he has a great connection to Silas Evans very specifically to just stretch the field and you know make defenses play the entire field whether it's close to the boundary on the sideline or whether it's in the back of the end zone he just knows silas so well and their chemistry is just it, chef's kiss it's impeccable how well they just know their timing of their routes but you know it's also worth noting that some of his throws are really unnecessary risks where he throws to Silas in double coverage. There is one pass that was in like triple coverage. And while it can land a lot of the time, you're taking away gas from Silas to be able to do his thing on defense, to be able to, you know, maybe take screen passes and expand his route tree a little bit more and make your offense a little bit more diverse when you are just saying, screw it, and you throw it into a lot of traffic. So those are improvements that need to be made by Gabe Smith and this offense overall but i mean this team is just so talented in so many positions i mean silas and honeycutt are both guys to keep an eye for when it comes to our top five senior list when it comes to awards at the end of the season their names will be in consideration so looking ahead to this schedule from george washington i think that they did a way better job of scheduling a competent you know just overall schedule, right? Last year, way too many 2A teams. But this year, right off the bat, you have a very winnable game against 5A Hinkley, in my opinion. Then you play 4A Falcon at home. I think that with all of the graduating talent from Falcon, this is a winnable game for yourself before facing 3A Kennedy at home that I think is also a winnable game. I mean, one that you scored 70 in. It'll be a track meet again this year. But, uh, you know, I think that you guys also have returning pieces on defense that could help you out there. And then a home game against Aurora Central, that's 4A. And then a 5A game against the far Northeast Warriors. Now, this is still a tough schedule, but I think that you can leave this at 3-2 and two, and your strength of schedule will be substantial as you head into league. I think that, you know, you probably lose to Aurora Central and Far Northeast Warriors, and then there's potential to lose to Kennedy. But I think you start off 3-0, drop two, 
probably drop your first game against Meade. It's just a whole different brand of football up front. So maybe you drop to three and three. But then I think that you could win another three games here and go six and three before potentially losing to Frederick, right? So overall, I think that they should, they should win at least five games. It's one of the crazier schedules that I've seen, but, you know, I think that, you know, as far as non-league games go, Aurora Central was a playoff team last year. Falcon was a playoff team last year. And Far Northeast Warriors were a playoff team last year and a league winner in 5A. So you have a very interesting start. So 3-2 and two would be fantastic. And then once you look at league, you have to go 3-1. and one. You have to go 3-1. and one. You have to beat North, Ridge, and Niwai if you want a shot at making the postseason. But they could be as low as 2-2 two and two in league. They could end up, don't sleep on this Denver North game. This could be another offensive shootout. Don't sleep on Riverdale Ridge that has a decently solid secondary coming back into their wings, right? Don't sleep on these teams because if you go 2-2 two and two and you go 5-5, five and five, I don't know if that's enough to make the postseason. But if you can control what you can control, go 6-4, and four, get a winning season, and compete against this these 5A, 4A teams and schools and keep those margins close, then I think that strength of schedule could easily, easily see this George Washington team in the postseason. And I think that that's something we as fans deserve. I think that's something that, you know, we all want to see Honeycutt play in the postseason. We all want to see Silas Evans play in the postseason. And we want to see where Gabe Smith is as a passer. That is something that as Colorado football, we do deserve. And, you know, it's even more of a point to show just how good Honeycutt Jr. is. I mean, there's a lot of talent in this Denver prep squad or league from last year that just doesn't get the opportunity or it gets overlooked very, very often. So I'm looking for this team to make some waves against 5A, 4A, and 3A competition all alike and potentially squeeze into the postseason behind just incredible athletes that I cannot talk enough about. So window of wins, four to six. I'm leaning towards six and four myself. And uh, yeah, that, that is my two cents on the George Washington Patriots for this upcoming 2022 season. Speaking of offensive fireworks, though, I am going to be talking about the 2021 Kennedy Commander season, which while... It was a step back from the playoffs that they reached in the spring of 2021 was still wildly productive as their aerial attack threw for 357.8 yards per game last year. That's over 100 yards more than the national average. And they found pay dirt plenty, averaging 31.4 points per game, including season highs of 49, 48, 47, and 35. The only issue is that they allowed significantly more uh, there were four instances where their opponents scored more than 50 points, including an exclamation point of 70 points allowed to George Washington. The defense has got to be more than wet paper if this team is to have any shot with their generational quarterback under center. Looking at the senior class here, there wasn't too many that graduated that were major contributors. You lose Marquise Hernandez, who is the lead running back with just over 300 yards and a score to his name. And he was somewhat capable of catching out of the backfield with 15 receptions. And then on defense, uh, Elijah Avila seems to be the biggest name 
with a fumble recovery, two sacks, and was sixth on the team in tackles. But this team brings back a ton of talent. And this may have the most returning starters of almost anyone in 3A, and if not, most teams in the entire state. For instance, on defense, they are returning 18 players who had double-digit tackles. And of the top 20 tacklers, only two were seniors. Not only do they have juniors like Antonio uh, Massen Massengel, I want to say, who paced the squad with 63 tackles, but they also have Angel Frosto, who led the team in sacks with four they, and tackles for loss with four. And they have a deep class of 2024 who made up four of the top seven tacklers. Adrian Cruz was second with 58. Noah Herrera was third on the team. Antonio Flores Palma and then Adam Martinez. In this batch, uh, Jacob Lopez Diaz was tied for the lead with two forced fumbles. And this squad returns all seven interceptions from last year with uh, Massengill bringing back two. Isaiah Garcia with one. Uh, I'm going to say Core G3. Core G3. Yeah, that's the nickname I'm going to go with. Uh, with one and the interception leader, Josiah Garcia, who had three last season. I addressed who is returning on the defense first because that's the big question from last season. That's the team that averaged, you know, that allowed 39 points per game, including 52 in the season opener to Adam City, 44 to Pueblo Central, 51 to Moffat County, 55 to TJ, 55 to Denver North. So that's a three-game stretch of allowing 40, 50 every game. 41 to Riverdale Ridge that isn't really even like that on the offensive side of the ball. And like I said, 70 to GW, right? So you have a lot of question marks on defense. You have a lot of returning players. Actually, basically everyone's returning who was majorly important, whether it's in the secondary, whether it's at linebacker, whether it's on the D line. But the, the reason why I wait to talk about offense is because it's not a question mark. I know exactly what Kennedy is on offense and it's dangerous and it's potent. You have, I mean, Isaiah Garcia returning to center on the interior of that line. And he's going to continue snapping to Kennedy's biggest asset, Isaac Cisneros. Look, we broke down his film as a sophomore. We said work on this, this, and this. And I think that he did a really good job of working on those things. And as a junior, you know, we evaluated his game a second time on the same Twitch stream as uh, Tommy Paholski. So go ahead and check that out on our YouTube, Twitch, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, The Breakdown of Isaac. But he's a very special player, a generational player even, for Kennedy High School, and one that is going to keep the wheels turning here. You know, his junior season, he threw 33 touchdowns, he ran for six, didn't rely as much at running the ball, but still showed that athletic upside, and had over 2,800 scrimmage yards, and, you know... He'd have a lot more attention if the defense tightened up, but he did improve drastically from his junior year. And, you know, he's, he'll be getting back every receiver who had over 170 receiving yards. That starts at the bottom with uh, Winkenhofer, who had 177 yards and four receiving touchdowns. Herrera, who I talked about defensively on offense, he caught 247 yards, two scores. Uh, Massengill, 300 yards, two scores. Garcia, 379 yards and five touchdowns. But, you know, while these four guys that I just talked about are coming back, I think that most importantly, his number one threat here is returning Ron Gallegos III, a.k.a. Core G3 for Colorado RG3, since apparently 
Robert Griffin trademarked his name. Uh, so I'm going to be calling uh, Ron Gallegos core G3 here. And uh, he tore through defenses last year. He had 1,163 yards on only 44 receptions, making for a whopping 26 yards per reception. One of the highest in the state for the volume, if not the highest in the state for someone with over 40 receptions. So just absurd production. And he uses insane speed. He's got burners for sure. And jets to just get past the defense. He also has solid enough route running to threaten defenses with double moves and whatnot. He's not really somebody that you want to allow catch the ball and run up field because he does have solid field vision as shown by his capabilities of returning the football as well. If he's returning punts or kickoffs, he is a threat to take it to the house basically at any time. Because if you make one mistake, one mistake on the defensive side of the ball, he could take it all the way to the house from his own end zone. Okay, I mean, last year he had 484 total return yards, including, you know, an average of 25, whether it's kickoff or punt returns. And yeah, you just can't let a guy like that slide. Uh, additionally, uh, Mass and Jill was also somebody who returned for over 21 yards per carry on punts and kicks as well. So you have two great athletes on special teams. That's just another dimension of football that you can score on and something that, you know, if you want to be a great football team, you have to be good at special teams too. Um, but back to uh, Ron here. As an offensive player, he did catch 19 freaking touchdowns, which is just... It's just insane. And that doesn't even include the one kickoff return that he had for a touchdown. So 20 scores last year as a receiver er, and as a returner. I wouldn't be surprised if the dynamic Cisneros to Gallegos connection puts up similar or greater numbers this upcoming season. Now, looking ahead to this next season, they have a lot of returning talent, like I've said. But, and if they've played the same schedule that they did last year, I feel like they would have fared significantly better. I mean, you look at last year and some of the games that they lost that they could potentially win if they had like a whole, this current team and this current offseason to come back. I feel like they could probably beat Pueblo Central. I think that they put up, they probably beat Denver North. They probably closed that gap a little bit here. But this upcoming season with the increased competition, I'm not sure. I'm just really not sure what that looks like for Kennedy. So looking ahead, they do face 4A Mesa Ridge. That's going to be a really tough game. I mean, just this beginning stretch is rough. Roosevelt, Bear Creek, George Washington. There is a pretty tough chance that they could start off the season 0-4 if their defense isn't ready to rock. Uh, all these schools are really strong up front. And they can keep this offense on the sideline for really long bouts and try and keep Cisneros and company cold uh, just because their front sevens are super lethal and their running games have kind of always been solid. Despite graduating some talent from all these teams, they still have guys from the backfield who can contribute and take over. An 0-4 hole is probably impossible to bounce back from for playoffs. But I know that they can get two quick wins here against Littleton and Northfield, kind of cutting into that. But despite the heavy losses, once you get into, I'm pretty sure their league will include Fort Morgan, but I'm not 100% on that. Uh, once you 
get into league here. Fort Morgan, really, really tough. Really tough team. Even though they just graduated a ton of talent, I don't want to write them off. So I'll call this game a coin toss. I think that Kennedy definitely beats Lincoln for another year. And then they have another really tough game against Lutheran. And they end the season against Holy Family. I see, unfortunately, this Kennedy squad probably going 3-7 three, three and seven again. I think they beat Littleton, Northfield, and Lincoln for sure. But I see that's probably the minimum amount of games that they win. I think highest upside they can maybe win. If they can maybe outscore George Washington here or Bear Creek, Fort Morgan might be losing too much talent. You could find another win in those three games. But I still think that that puts their window of wins at best at five. If they can beat Fort Morgan and pull off a road upset on Bear Creek or GW. But there's just not enough defensively for me to say that this will happen. So overall final projection for the Kennedy Commanders is three and seven. As for one of the teams that they faced last year, I'm going to be talking about the Riverdale Ridge Ravens and what happened in their season. You know, they more or less alternated wins and losses after starting off with a narrow loss to Northridge 21-7. They pitched a shutout against Denver West 19-0 before dropping to Niwot 34-20 and Roosevelt getting shut out themselves 41-0 before a bounce back 25 point win against Denver North. Then kind of an underwhelming loss to George Washington on the road followed by two quick wins where they scored 41 and 51 respectively, and then a season-ending loss to end just below 500 to Thomas Jefferson, who was the league champ this year. So looking at graduating seniors, I think part of the inconsistencies can be traced to inconsistency on offense, and that kind of hurts because they will be losing their leading receiver, RJ Holiday. I broke down his film. He had more than three times the amount of receiving yards as the next guy and was responsible for over half of the receiving touchdowns on the entire squad. This doesn't even factor in his defensive prowess that I broke down on a request episode in a season where stellar acceleration closed gaps and led to four interceptions and eight pass deflections. Uh, he's playing on the next level and it doesn't matter who you are, but losing next level talent always stings. And defensively, the Ravens graduate seven of their eight leading tacklers, including the top two in Elijah Montoya, who was also the sack leader and tackle for loss leader. He put up stats of 96 tackles, 15 and a half um, tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. You're also graduating uh, Cooper Stodel, who himself had 69 tackles nice and seven and a half of those were for loss. And the defense sees 79% of their sacks walk across the stage. Woof, that is a lot of talent to be losing defensively. Defensive is what you had going for you most last year, I'd say. Last year, they didn't even allow 200 points. This is another one of those odd teams where they had a losing record despite having more points for than points against. But when you don't win a single game on the road, that'll do it. That is exactly how, how you end up with a losing record. They didn't win a single game on the road. But... Players who are looking to return, maybe change that narrative, bring some of that success in home competitions back, but maybe perform a little bit better on the road. Um, they're going to have to learn to run quick with so much talent advancing, but I'm looking to guys on every level of the defense who did contribute last year. I'm looking at six foot five, 235 pound Trevor Miller, who, you know, he led this team in hurries last year with 10, 
but it didn't look like he recorded a sack. But, you know, at that size, at that frame, on the defensive line, he could be a game wrecker. From the linebacker position, I'm looking at Isaac Bonner, who looks to become the leader of this unit following a season that saw him post the third most tackles for loss than two with seven and a half. So there's your linebacker to pick up some of the slack. So you got your defensive end, you got your linebacker. Now, last but not least, I'm looking at Cameron Lewis, who returns to a secondary following a season that saw him pace the team in interceptions with six, pass deflections with 11, and put his name in for the 3A Defensive Playmaker of the Year conversation. You know, we look around and try and have one person from basically every level of the defense, and Cameron Lewis was ours for the secondary. He was just an absolute stud, somebody who breaks on the ball very well, and somebody who also offensively contributes, seeing as how he caught, he was the second leading receiver last year. So... You have an impact player on all three levels of the Riverdale Ridge defense, and hopefully that kind of decreases the amount of damage that losing all of the talent does, right? As stated earlier, there were a ton of juniors on offense that made it a little inconsistent. Um, Cameron Lewis being one of those guys who maybe with the same production and targets as RJ Holiday can try and match his season from a year ago. In limited limited action uh daniel diener or dinier uh made an impact with 25 yards per catch and two scores in only five games played so that's another guy who could take a serious step forward with more targets and last season a trio of juniors all impacted the run game in a committee attack that saw bonner harding and jones rush for a collective 925 yards but more impressively 11 touchdowns Breaking a thousand yards between this group would go a long way for this team's hopes of playoffs. And then almost custom in my segments is saving the quarterback for the end of the segment. Nate Bishop is the topic after last year passing for just a hair over 1300 yards on 56.2% completion and tossing 16 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, but also losing two fumbles. It's very obvious that his decision-making needs to improve and he doesn't just have an automatic completion to holiday. If he can spread the ball more evenly and thrive in an offense that hopefully runs the ball better, a balanced attack would be a great counter to teams on their schedule and in their league. And so talking about their schedule, talking about their league, you know, Riverdale, it's it's an interesting one and one in that new league that I have slightly talked about in the fact that, you know, these 3A Denver prep teams aren't playing just all against each other again, right? So on this schedule they got in league games against denver north that's listed so far in george washington and i believe that that includes frederick naiwa and mead even though it says non-league at this moment in time on max reps they open the city the season on the road against mountain view and adam city before returning home against northfield then they have an opponent to be announced and an away game on thompson valley in loveland before they come into league play. So currently, they kind of have a lot of away games scheduled, which is concerning for a team that didn't really do too well on the road, right? Looking through projections here, I think that they can win against Mountain View, and that's a that's a solid game before they square off against Adam City, who's new to 4A. Adam City, they bring back their signal caller, who I think is a hair better than Nick or Nate Bishop here currently. So I think that that's a toss-up, but I projected it as a win for Adam City, I'm pretty sure. After that, they get to get a piece of new to 3A Northfield, who I think they can beat, and then a game to be announced, like I said, prior to another 4A game against Thompson Valley. I think that 
it's a winnable game. However, I think that Thompson Valley probably has the edge up front. They just have some really talented guys on the offensive and defensive line that I think make this a challenging game. And so looking at that, you're looking at a two and two record. Not sure at what's going to end up in that TBA, but two and two heading into league before this league just I don't know if they could beat Denver North. I think that Denver North has more talented offense, and I don't think that Riverdale's you know, defense that lost so much talent will be able to counter that. I think that they probably lose to Frederick. I think that they probably lose to George Washington here. I think that Niwot's a toss-up game, but one that I will give to Riverdale Ridge. And then I don't know if they beat Meade. I have the window of wins for the Ravens at 3-4 to four, with a more likely record of 3-7, to seven. Just that the fact that the new league's tougher. And it's not that this team didn't get better this year. It's just that everyone around them is returning so much more talent. And I think that it, a lot of these teams are a lot tougher than the ones that they played last year. So not the fact that they didn't take a step forward, but that a lot of teams in this league took a leap and bound forward this past offseason, making it really tough for Riverdale to keep up here. Last but not least here, the Spartans out of Denver in Thomas Jefferson make a return. And, you know, looking at last year's schedule behind an athletic quarterback and great skill position players on both sides of the ball with solid trenches, Thomas Jefferson went 7-4, and four, including a perfect 5-0 and oh in home games and 5-0 and oh in league games before making an exit against the powerhouse that is Roosevelt in the first round. So looking at the schedule, they lost the season opener to Eagle Valley in double overtime. That was a little bit of a disappointing loss. I remember being a little bit worried, but Eagle Valley was a team, a sleeper team that gave teams a lot of fits. And uh, you'll hear more about Eagle Valley on Friday. So stay tuned for that episode. But anyways, they bounced back with a big win against Sierra before a crushing loss to Dakota Ridge on the road, who was a 4A team back when TJ was a 3A team. So they they literally alternate losses and wins here. Lost to Eagle Valley, win against Sierra, lost to Dakota Ridge, win against Devlin, 42-7, lost to Pueblo South in Pueblo. So, you know, these away games kind of getting away from them, but nothing to fear. They won the games at home against Sierra and Devlin, who the, which they're supposed to win. So there's that. And then they get into league play and they go on a tear here. Beat Kennedy, 55-24, Lincoln, 56-0. George Washington, this game ended up being you know, the league deciding game and they beat GW 27 to 18. They beat Denver North 54 to 28 and closed the season with a win against Riverdale Ridge 28 to 14. So mad props for Thomas Jefferson going five and zero in league. That is, you know, very impressive, especially after coming back on a short season, they played in the spring and had less time to recover and get healthy, especially since they won state in the spring. So crazy time for the Spartans here but they ultimately persevered won those games and went undefeated at home which is great for the home crowd and uh, posted a point differential of 4-373 and against 284 right before losing to Roosevelt 56-15 that's I'm not even mad about that that Roosevelt was a contender they were my pick to win state last year versus Thomas Jefferson that was more of you know, a, a solid playoff team in my predictions or a team that would make the playoffs, I should say, in my projections. So 
Looking at graduating seniors here, I think that the big story is the departure of the leading rusher and passer, Austin Lindegren. Last season, he was responsible for 21 touchdowns and over 2,000 scrimmage yards, and he was way more of a threat on the ground, averaging 11 yards per carry. Um, but once he was asked to pass, he wasn't super accurate or elite at decision-making. Uh, he threw more, as, more than twice as many INTs as TDs, and he had games where he threw for lows of 21%, 33%, and 46% completion percentage. In the spring, his passing was a lot better. I'm not sure if it was just like fatigue on his arm, but at least he was still a very solid runner. In addition to, you know, the passer graduating in Lindegren, his top three receiving targets from a year ago all graduated as Barella, Diaz, and Martinez take 68% of receiving yards with them and all but one receiving touchdown. So this passing game is going to take a step back from last year, which is crazy to say because it wasn't particularly threatening last year, but I digress. Defensively, this team also takes huge losses with Jalen Ships, who had 80 tackles and 11 for loss, but even more so with the loss of, not tackle-wise, but the CSU Pueblo player in Randy Yabo, whose athleticism and physicality was integral to a season that saw him rack up four pass deflections, an interception, and plenty of headaches from opposing wide receivers who could end up outside of the field of play if they weren't careful. So, you know, Randy Yabo was a one-of-a-kind cornerback who was just super physical, and they're going to miss that in the secondary. There's no way that you don't, especially one who is physical but doesn't get flagged a whole bunch. That's not to say that TJ isn't returning some seriously good talent here. I think that you have, for instance, the return of Dimitri Horolambopoulos here, who will be tasked of picking up what was left behind offensively after being the second leading rusher with 728 yards in nine games and a whopping 15 rushing scores. So, you know, I think that this team can keep running the ball very well. I think that you have Dedrick Payne, who was a monster on this offensive and defensive line. He was integral at making holes. He's on our watch list for top five senior offensive linemen, especially on the interior. He pulls really well as a guard. He's very strong. He plays low. And then defensively, he was also a monster since he was just really hard to move and would would get penetration in the backfield. And at six foot three, 280 pounds, that is incredible size to be having in the trenches. So I think that, you know, you have this all-state lineman coming in to pave way for a running back who is able to find success in the backfield. And then you also have these sophomores in Jake Tapia and Naj Levy, who contributed another 900 combined rushing yards and seven scores. And none of these rushers dipped below six yards per carry, right? So... You have an offensive line, you have a leader of the offensive line in Dedrick Payne, who will still continue to make way for Tapia Levy and Haralambopoulos. And, you know, I think that that consistency on the ground will help with their transition to 4A a little bit. Defensively, you get McCurr Abram to headline the Spartan team after being tied for second in tackles, sole possession of second in tackles for loss and wreaked havoc in the backfield with six sacks and 13 hurries. He did that all at six foot four, 205 pounds, and I think another 10 pounds this offseason or even 15 would just make him an all-state player, hands down. 
Additionally, Jake Tapia, you know, as a sophomore, tied Abram with tackles with 54 and should only improve this season. So you're getting some strength back in the trenches on both sides of the ball. You're getting back some linebackers who can fly around the field and some tailbacks who have shown success. So I think that, you know, the offensive and defensive line that the Spartans have, along with plenty of rushing options, they will continue to find success, but definitely have shoes to fill under center. And if it's someone who turns the ball over less than last year, they have a shot at transitioning to 4A. With 4A comes challenges, and there's not quite a challenge like Pomona, who is a 5A team, as your season opener. They then get to face winless Wheat Ridge from a year ago, as well as Greeley West. Uh, I shouldn't, you shouldn't overlook any of these teams. But I do think that they probably go to an O in that stretch before facing Bear Creek. This will be a tough game. I think that Bear Creek, despite their heavy graduations, I think that they're back as a program, that is. So I'm going to project Bear Creek to win and put TJ at 2-2 two and two before a tough stretch against Stanley Lake, Vista Peak Prep, and Far Northeast Warriors. They probably go 0-3 in this stretch, but... They could go one and two. They could go one and two. I won't say against two, but they could go one and two before getting a layup against Liberty. I think that that's a win. And then two horrible games to end the season on, honestly, with a home game against Ponderosa and then Denver South on the road that I think has them go 0 and two. So if I count up their projected wins this year, Wheat Ridge, Greeley West, let's count on the high end that they win one of those three game stretches and Liberty. I think at best, I see them going four and six, depending on how the two games against 5A teams go with Pomona and Far Northeast. They could be the very last seed in the playoffs, but they need to be competitive against those teams in Pomona and Far Northeast. If they are to have a shot at being like whatever the last seed is, they could potentially do that. But they also have potential of going three and seven. And I don't think that three and seven can land you in the postseason, no matter which A of football you have or no matter how competitive you are. So Thomas Jefferson, window of wins of, I'd say at least three, but tops four, five would be, five's a tough sell for me. So I'm going to project Thomas Jefferson to go four and six and maybe, maybe be sniffing the very last seed of the 2022 playoffs behind a strong run game and a battle in the trenches. Payne is definitely somebody who I want to go and see in game in person this year. So that will be nice. But that does it for this episode of the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I have been your host, Cody Stoffer. And for all updates as far as new episodes coming out, make sure to follow us on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Playmakers Corner or at Playmaker Corner. Go ahead and find us there for all of our episode covers and when we post new episodes. We are also posting quick one-minute recap slash previews on TikTok, so go ahead and follow us on there at Playmakers Corner. And then we also have reels on YouTube, so make sure to subscribe and find us on YouTube. And then for the season, we will be heading back to Twitch, as well as next week, I'm actually going to do a Twitch stream talking about teams from you know the Denver Metro 4A Conference or League. So make sure to stay tuned for that on our Twitch channel. We are Playmakers Corner on Twitch. Go ahead and subscribe to us and then gift us. We are also going to start opening up some listener support on our podcast. So please find ways to do that and support us because we are, it's just two of us doing all this research for previews. It is very time consuming, but we love Colorado football. We believe in Colorado football. So that is why we are doing it. But 
Make sure to find us on all of those places. And if you're not, make sure to like, subscribe, follow us on any of the podcasting platforms that you listen to us, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, so you get notifications for all of our latest episodes. And please make sure to rate us on Spotify now that that is open. I have been your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and peace.